Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solutions-focused insights for healthcare executives with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Amanda Schiavo, the Finance Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, I'm joined by Harold Miller, President and CEO of the Center for Healthcare Quality and Payment Reform. Thank you for joining us today, Harold. Thanks for inviting me, Amanda. So, Harold, Hospitals and health systems have been dealing with some serious economic challenges dating back to even before the onset of the pandemic. Now that 2023 is underway, how can these organizations thrive financially under this constant economic pressure? Well, I think there is a lot of pressure. Uh, I think there are two things that need to be done immediately, and then one longer-term strategy that hospitals and health systems need to pursue. The immediate challenges are to restructure staffing to address the workforce shortages that hospitals are facing, and the second is to keep small rural hospitals from closing. The workforce shortages during the pandemic, there were a lot of shortages due to illness of workers and the high patient volume. Now, there are shortages developing because people are simply leaving healthcare because of burnout. Um, And hospitals and health systems can't thrive financially if they can't deliver high-quality care, and they can't deliver high-quality care without adequate staff. And it isn't just a matter of paying more. Um, Staff burnout uh, are burning out because they're afraid of harming patients. So I think it's going to be really essential for hospitals and health systems to restructure the way they deliver care and restructure the work for staff, increasing staff levels so that people actually want to work there and can feel that they are delivering care to patients, good care to patients, and to make sure, in fact, that the patients um, are safe. And I think that the hospitals that do that first will be the most successful. The biggest challenges, I think, in all of this will be faced by the small rural hospitals. They have been struggling with costs for a long time. They have been um, um, uh, supported during the past couple of years by federal funds. Big hospitals have the financial reserves and margins to cover higher costs of delivering better care. Uh, Small rural hospitals don't. And they have been underpaid by commercial health plans and by Medicaid for many years, and that has to stop. uh, Because with those small rural hospitals closed, the community doesn't just lose a hospital, it loses all of its health care services. There may be no emergency department, no place to get a lab test or an x-ray, and maybe not even a primary care physician available. So I think those are the two most immediate, immediate issues that hospitals and health systems have to face. And what does that restructuring look like? Well, I think hospitals are need to find ways to say what are the most critical services that we offer and in in terms of being able to take care of patients and how can we restructure the staff that we have to make sure that we have adequate staffing in those levels. And if that means that other services may have to be suspended, that may be the case in in some cases so that whenever the hospital can then say we, in fact, when we're trying to hire new staff, can assure you that you're going to be able to be adequately supported and to be able to have a reasonable workload and to be able to safely take care of your patients, then the hospital will be able to better attract um, additional uh, workers to come to the hospital. 
In the longer run, I think that's going to inherently increase costs in the short run uh, for, for many kinds of services. Again, bigger hospitals have the ability to pay for that. But in the longer run, we need to fundamentally change the way hospitals are paid. The standard formula for success for hospitals for years has been to do as many procedures and tests as possible at the hospital and to charge as much as you possibly can for them. Um, and that has led to an unaffordable health insurance uh, system uh, and to personal bankruptcies. Uh, I think the mission of the hospital has to be reoriented. The mission of the hospital has to be to deliver necessary services as safely and efficiently as possible and to charge only what is necessary for that. The problem that hospitals have faced, though, is that they do two fundamentally different things, but they're only paid for one of them. Hospitals deliver services to patients when they are sick, and they are paid for that. But the other thing that hospitals do, which is essential for a community, is that they are there available when somebody needs them, whether somebody needs them or not. That standby capacity is critical for a community, but hospitals aren't paid for that. They're only paid whenever somebody is actually sick or needs a procedure. Um, we don't pay for other essential community services that way. We don't pay fire departments based on whether there's a fire, and we don't pay police departments based on how many crimes there are. And we shouldn't be paying hospitals solely based on how many services that they deliver. They need to be paid a standby capacity payment so that the hospital can maintain its essential fixed costs. And then the hospital should only charge and be paid a smaller amount for an individual service whenever it delivers it. And with that combination of payment, the hospital can then have adequate payment to deliver appropriate services without feeling compelled to deliver unnecessary services and without the ability to charge very high amounts and make high profits. So I think the leaders of hospitals that really want to get to a better place need to take the initiative to say, what does that payment system look like? How much do we need to get to cover our standby costs? And what can we then be able to charge for essential services when we deliver them and go to payers and to employers to say, this is what we need to be able to provide high-quality health care in the community at an affordable cost. And is that where value-based care comes in, or are we talking about something different? I would call that value-based care if it's done, but that is not where most value-based payment systems are. Most value-based payment systems are simply trying to create incentives around quality measures or to put hospitals at risk for the total cost of care. What we need to do is to say, what is it that the hospital needs to do to deliver high-value care, which means essential services delivered safely and affordably, that is high-value care, and then how do we pay for that high-value care? And that's the problem with most value-based payment systems is nobody has ever asked the question, what does it actually cost to deliver high-value care? And what do we need to pay to be able to get that? And again, that's where hospitals need to step forward and say, what is that? What will it actually cost to deliver high-value care? What does it cost us to have the services, appropriate services on standby? What does it cost us to deliver an individual service? And then what is it that we need to be paid to be able to do that? And so what might that actually look like when a hospital you know, decides, okay, we're going to ask ourselves these questions and we're going to take these steps. 
Well, it, it depends because in some cases it may not be a matter of spending more. The cost is higher. It may be a matter of delivering the care in different ways. There are a number of hospitals around the country that have restructured the way they deliver care uh, to deliver higher value by taking out unnecessary costs. The problem is, in many cases, what that also involves is delivering fewer billable services, and they may end up losing money. So the cost may go down. So it's not more cost. The cost is lower, but the revenue may go down even more than the cost goes down. So that's why we need to have changes in payment along with the changes in cares. And that's what hospitals have not been doing. They have not been stepping forward and saying, what does it really cost us to deliver care? You, it's in, almost impossible today to find out what it actually costs any hospital to deliver care, and you certainly can't tell that from what they charge. They charge two, three, four, five, ten times what it actually costs them to deliver care. And then the focus is on what's the discount that they're going to negotiate with a private payer. What we should be saying is what does it actually cost to deliver higher care, higher quality care, and then what does the payment need to be for that? That's, that's a discussion that every employer, and most, it's most of the commercial insurance in the country is supported by private employers, that's, that's the kind of conversation that every employer has with their own suppliers for their own products, and it's the same kind of conversation that they should start having with hospitals and health systems in their community. What does it cost to deliver the kinds of care that our employees and our citizens in our community need? Where can hospital CFOs step up more and help create an organization where offering high quality healthcare services, but they're also, the organization itself is also financially stable? Well, a key thing is that in hospitals, um, the CFO and the CMO have to be working together. The finance and the clinical part of the organization need to be working together. Um, in many cases, that's not the case. Clinical people deliver clinical care without even thinking about what it costs. And then the hospital finance folks have to figure out somehow where they can cut costs without any ability to influence the way care is being delivered. People who are trained as CFOs don't understand the clinical side of, of the operation. The folks who deliver clinical care generally don't understand the finances. And that fundamentally has to change. There has to be a way that they can work together to say, how can we redesign care in a way that will cut out the unnecessary costs and pay adequately for the costs that we need? And that's done by having a partnership between the CFO and the CMO and the chief nursing officer and other clinical staff in the hospital to say, what are we trying to do here? How do we deliver care in a better way? How do we cut out waste? And then how do we make sure that we can get paid adequately to deliver that care? Are there any challenges that you see continuing that you see as being a greater challenge this year than last year? Well, I think what we are seeing what we saw tremendously during the pandemic, but we will continue to see is people getting ill and having to be either in an emergency department or in a hospital more than in the past. There has been 
a belief for a number of years that somehow we really don't need hospitals anymore, that everything can be done on an outpatient basis. Um, and the pandemic made clear that there are people who will get ill and who need to be in a hospital. And that's certainly true in rural communities as well as larger urban communities. And this gets back to the issue of what is that minimum capacity that we need in each community to be able to deal with those kinds of events not only the the normal levels of sickness that people need, but what happens whenever there is a flu outbreak or a pandemic? What happens if there is a natural disaster in the community and people need to be in the hospital? So we haven't done enough to be able to think about what those capacity issues are. And I think we're going to continue to experience those um, in the future with new new variants of, of COVID and other kinds of uh, respiratory illnesses. We've certainly been experiencing that um, this year. The other thing that that we're going to be facing over time is um, an aging of the population. Um, and as people get older and have more chronic diseases, it will be more and more likely that there will be, they will experience exacerbations of those conditions and need to be hospitalized. Even if we do a better job, as we need to, of managing chronic conditions to try to reduce those exacerbations, it is almost impossible to eliminate all of them. So some people will need to be in, in the hospital because of um, an exacerbation of their emphysema or their asthma or their um, congestive heart failure. Um, or just to have other kinds of conditions like pneumonia that would require them to be in the hospital. So we have to make sure that we have adequate capacity for that. And as the population gets older, even with a lower rate of hospitalization, the number of people who have to be in the hospital will need, will need to increase. And that's a, that's a challenge because that is not what hospitals make their money on today. Hospitals make their money on elective surgeries and procedures and tests and they tend, generally tend to lose money on those uh, other services, which is why we have ended up with shortages of capacity whenever we need them. So I think one of the fundamental things we have to rethink is what is the nature of that capacity that we need to be able to deliver medical admissions to the hospital when, when they are needed, um, uh, as well, not just how many procedures can we do, um, and the hospitals may need to be restructuring the way they deliver care to focus less on the high-end specialty care and more on that kind of critical inpatient care that people in the community need. Sounds like hospitals are going to have a lot to uh, tackle this year, and especially when it comes to rethinking the way that they provide care, like you said. I think it'll be a difficult thing for them to sort of change mindsets. I think it'll be very difficult, um, partly because um, the, the st standard approach that everybody has pursued for years has been, again, heads in beds. Um, and uh, raise prices whenever costs go up. Um, and uh, that just simply cannot continue. So it needs a fundamental uh, change. I think that um, uh, what hospitals need is support from their community to be able to do that. The problem is hospitals right now do not, most hospitals don't have a very good reputation um, and people don't trust that whenever they say we need to figure out how to restructure what we're doing, that people will trust that that will actually be a good outcome. So I do think that there needs to be more discussions between the hospital leadership and other community leaders, employers in the community, um, uh, governmental leaders, to say how can we make this transition 
we cannot simply keep raising prices to be able to cover costs and by keep doing things the same way because health insurance has become unaffordable. So that needs to be redone. And hospitals are the single largest and fastest growing healthcare cost. So hospitals have to take a lead role in saying, how can we restructure the way care is being delivered? And they have to build a new level of trust with the people um, in their communities to be able to have them uh, be able to reach that new point. It will take several years to do it. There will need to be a transition process and there will need to be the level of trust associated with that on all parties that that is in fact what the hospital is trying to move, move toward. If they don't, if hospitals don't do that, what they're going to be faced with, I think, is more government regulation and undesirable things like global budgets where the government says, here's all the money that you can have hospital regardless of how much you need. I think that the, the fear of that should lead hospital leaders to say, okay, let's take charge of our problem and come up with a better way to deliver hospital care, recognizing the fact that we have to control costs. That's an excellent point, Harold. I want to thank you so much for all your amazing insights during this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for the invitation. This is a very important topic, and I'm glad you're trying to bring attention to it. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.